Hello and welcome to The Connection, a new podcast from Connect Global. I'm Javier Mendoza, co-founder and vice president. We are excited to be using this platform to be more connected to you. The Connection can be broken down into three sections. The Founders Corner, an ongoing conversation between the co-founders of Connect Global. Global Neighborhood, a mix of interviews from around the world, including some of our friends and partners. And Life Talks place to hear the most recent talks we've given on the gospel, missions, and our place in the Great Commission. Our sincere hope is that you would favorite, bookmark, or subscribe to our podcast and for you to come back often for all the interviews, conversations, and to join the discussion. Let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Travis Moffitt, president and co-founder at Connect Global. And I want to welcome you to another episode of The Global Neighborhood. We are so excited today to be welcoming our special guest, Pastor Mike Wells. Mike, thanks for being with us. How are you doing today? Doing great, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. We're going to have a a great time today. I appreciate you taking some of your time uh, out so that you can just visit with ourselves and with all of our listeners Hey, we want to jump right into the conversation. So let me ask you uh, if we can start with this question. Mike, when was your first missions trip? My first out-of-the-country mission trip was in 1989. I went to Romania to work in orphanages. I went with a group called CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, which is big in Europe and um, Ireland in particular. And um, they uh, do mailbox lessons, and uh, they do what they call five-day clubs and different things there. But um, I had watched the wall come down like most people our age did. And when they discovered all of the Romanian orphans in um, Ceausescu's regime, um, I literally was 16 weeping in a chair watching the news, and I was like, God, I gotta go, and um, so it wasn't. That was in uh, 1990. So eight years later, I finally got the opportunity to go, and um, that trip wrecked me in a great way, and um, and changed my life and and really opened my eyes to missions. Well, that's awesome! What an amazing opportunity to be able to see such a such an incredible event play out on the world stage. And then some years later, to have the opportunity to actually travel into that part of the world uh, and impact, you know, some of the the peoples or the people groups that you had seen, you know, played out on on the screen, on the television screen from from so many years before. How long were you there in in Romania, in that area? How long was that trip? Um, That trip was about 10 days, and uh, we traveled and did a lot of children's evangelism programs and different things and uh, Bible club lessons and I went back in the next two years I went back four times and because um, like I said it absolutely had just wrecked me so much from uh, 99 to 2001 I went back another three times and um, for a total of four and it just it's always just been a huge part of my heart I try to go back often but it usually doesn't work out now that I'm doing other things When's the last time you were there? Um, last time I was there was actually 2002. Um, we've tried to literally we've tried to set up trips 
um, probably five or six times since then, and they've all fallen through. And I, I don't understand that. I'm not going to throw the God card out at you, but uh, my heart is continually there. It's just an issue of making it happen. Wow, that's awesome. Now, let's back up a little bit. You said you were 16 years old when you were watching uh, the wall fall there, and you were watching all of the, the dynamics and all of the changes going on in Europe at that time. And now you're in what we might call or refer to as full-time ministry. You serve as a pastor of a church uh, in Georgia. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in just a little bit. But when did you first know that in your life there was a – a call, if we can say it that way, or there was a desire, there was this uh, something inside of you that said, hey, I want to be a minister. I want to be a preacher. I want to be a, a missionary, a pastor, or whatever, you know, maybe not even knowing how that would look. But what was going on in your life? How old were you? Where were you at when you started figuring out, man, my life is, is to pursue um, religious or faith type of work, ministry type of work? Well, I had gotten saved about six months before the wall came down, and um, I got saved in um, February of 1989, and I had it all my life planned to go in the Air Force. I wanted to be um, a pilot, and my dream from first grade until 12th grade was to be a pilot. And... Um, I, you know, went through all the ASVAB tests and all the different things and was going to how to pass through an ROTC program in Montana at Montana State University. And my senior year of high school, about halfway through it, the Lord just sovereignly shut that door and I was at a church camp and the guy had told us to go outside and listen to what God is going to tell us. And he said, don't sit with your friends, just go out and be by yourself and just get a notebook, paper, and write down what God says. And I sat by a tree and said, all right, Lord, you know, talk to me. And I just felt him say that I don't want you to go in the Air Force, your life is mine. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he said, I want you to go into ministry. And I had no desire to be a pastor at all. And um, just, just my history growing up just that was not on my radar so i was like well lord if this is you you're gonna have to prove it and so he sovereignly shut down the scholarship um i got a scholarship to a bible college and was able to play football there and um and so it just he just totally changed my plans and, and opened up a whole nother door and that's when i knew all right lord there's something bigger that you have for me than what i've ever thought Wow, that's awesome. And so you were about that 15, 16 years old at that time? Yeah, I got saved right before I turned 16, and that was, I was, um, it was just before I turned 18 that that happened. Okay. When I wow, knew the awesome. Lord had told me to, to go and do the ministry. You know, it, it seems to me, and it's so interesting, uh, but it seems to me that pretty consistently, even as uh, young people are coming up, children anywhere from around the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12 on the young end to, to those late teen years are so formative, especially how God is, is working in people's lives. My mother, we've had her on this segment before, and she's talked about how at 12 years old she knew she was called to be a missionary. 
And, uh, you know, here you are, you know, just before your 18th birthday, just knowing God is setting you apart for some type of ministry work. And uh, I think that's important for us to hear sometimes as adults and as ministry leaders, you know, a little further uh, down the road and, and with a few more gray hairs, we think, okay, you know, as, as people become adults, then, then they're going to figure out what God wants them to do. But so often it seems that God is speaking to people at these younger ages and implanting this life desire for ministry uh, into their hearts, even early on in their life. Have, have you experienced that as a pastor, as a, as a father? Absolutely. Um, I think I think it's critical that they hear it at an earlier age. Um, but when they are less burdened down with responsibilities and able to go through something about it, um, you know, even Paul references you know, once you're married and you do all this stuff, you have a lot to take care of, and your heart's divided. But someone who's not in that situation doesn't have a divided heart. And so as a youth pastor for 10 years, I had numerous kids who experienced that call early and paid the price to go do missions work. And who are still walking with the Lord today, even now that they have families, but they gave that formative part of their life to missions and to a bigger kingdom perspective. And um, it, it radically changed their lives. Wow, that's awesome. So... From from calling to vocation, how did that begin to play out? You mentioned just a moment ago you spent ten years as a as a youth pastor. Was that sort of the first ministry role, or how did those ministry roles start to start start to appear in your life? Um, yes, sir. When I was in, I went to Bible college in ninety one. As soon as I graduated high school, um, that fall went to Bible school. And my junior year in Bible school, I became a youth pastor at a Nazarene church, even though I was going to an assembly of God Bible school. That's kind of ironic. Um, And then I graduated in 95 and went to a church in Arkansas where I was youth pastor for a couple of years. And then um, the Lord sovereignly moved me to Georgia. And um, and I was youth pastor there for eight years, and um, that's when I connected with um, L.A. Joiner and, and began to learn, you know, what a New Testament church is, and um, more a more kingdom perspective than a denominational perspective. The church you came to in Georgia was it a part of the same denomination that you were with uh, in Arkansas, or from the same? denomination as the school you had graduated from, or was that more of an independent type of church? Yeah, the church in Georgia was a completely independent church. It was usually, you know, in relationship with other churches, and part of a network called Church Foundational Network. Now it's called Liberty Network International. But um, I graduated from the Assembly of God School, but I never got ordained assembly. Um, I never got ordained AG. And so the church in Arkansas was an independent church, and then I went to another independent church when I moved to Georgia. Nice. So for let me just give some, some context for some of our listeners who may not know what, what some of these terminologies are. Uh, throughout the United States and really throughout the world, um, sometimes churches, congregations come together uh, or might have kind of a visionary leader or founder or that sort of deal. And then as they group together, they can create what we commonly refer to as denominations. Um, so you'll hear terms of like Baptist churches or 
an Assemblies of God Church or a Church of God. And, and some of these are different groupings, different denominations. Um, they would all define themselves, and, and rightly so, as Christian churches. Uh, some of these denominations that are larger have formed schools and universities and things like that. But you also have church congregations that are independent, meaning that they're not a part of a particular denomination. Um, but oftentimes uh, that we've seen that some of those uh, churches that maybe are like-minded or kind of have a similar personality or similar way of outreach or expressions of worship, things like that, can also group together in sort of loosely formed networks that are maybe a little less governmental, if I can say it that way, than denominations. Sometimes there's some some governmental dynamics in denominations that you don't typically find in some of these uh, just sort of fellowship-type networks. And I would say, Mike, in my opinion, there's there's probably pros and cons to both. There's, there's great value in having organizational structure. Sometimes that can can, can go a little uh, overboard or be a little heavy-handed. On the other side, you know, we all love our independence and we all love our liberality, but then sometimes that can kind of swing to the other side where we're not uh, learning uh, honor and learning order and, and things like that. So h- how have you seen kind of the difference? Because you've been in kind of denominational world and sort of independent world, and, and how have you seen the comparisons of those two? Correct. I've found that abuses can take places in both. Um, you can have an abuse of structure and where a church has no ability to to release its ministers because it all has to have permission from an organization. And, you know, a tight run denomination, you know, an overseer might not have any responsibility or any relationship with the church, but yet he has responsibility and he moves somebody in that isn't connected. And there's just some, you know, some things that could go awry with that, but there are some definite safety issues that are there, and denominations provide a security, financial security. I mean, there's just many things that denominations benefit. One of the things that we see in the, the more of the network world is that we take the strengths of each local organization who's autonomous, which means they're self-ruled, you know, and the, the autonomy in the New Testament is that the church is run by elders has deacons in place and they train and equip their ministers according to Ephesians 4 for the ministry. And so it's not somebody sitting in an office somewhere saying, hey, go do this, is every member is a minister. And so we take the strengths of those local congregations and yoke them together in a network and we also can use those strengths to cover weaknesses. And so if a church has a particular weakness, we can call someone from that network and say, hey, come help us strengthen this because it's your strength. And so you see throughout the New Testament, you know, they sent people from Ephesus to Antioch and Antioch to Corinth. And it was a network of churches working together that yoked their strengths, but didn't control the people to the point of the people having to have permission to do anything. Because every member is a minister, and that, that that's what we choose to focus on is uniting the strengths. Wow, that's awesome. That's a that's a great way to uh, to put that. Let's jump back to your story. So you served as a youth pastor then eight years there in Georgia, but now you're the senior pastor uh, of a church. In fact, you serve as the senior pastor of two congregations. 
Um, but let's talk about this first one. Uh, you, uh, when you and I first met, you were the senior pastor of Northbridge Church in Hayhira, Georgia, where I had opportunity to speak yesterday. Had a great time. You guys are phenomenal hosts. Really enjoyed getting to see you and, and all the people there at the church. But how did that come about where you became the pastor there in Northbridge Church? Well, the founding pastor of New Covenant, where I was youth pastor at for um, eight years, L.A. Joiner, he resigned in 2007. He was a true apostolic leader. He had planted, I think, eight churches and and um, just just had a huge kingdom perspective and and um, and just networked churches together and leaders and and um, was a true spiritual father. And he, um, when he resigned, the Lord had put it in my heart to plant a church in about 10 miles north of our town. And so the pastor who took over New Covenant as L.A. left, we had it worked out from the beginning that I would leave to plant that church and he would take over New Covenant. And we tried to do both of them, you know, in order so that it would be, you know, um, a lot of change confuses people and scares people. And so we wanted to do as little damage as possible by launching me out as well as a new leader taking over an existing 750 member church so we made that transition and then uh february of 2009 planted north bridge is a very missional home church based church and um we have uh we you know have a huge influence in the city and um, we just announced our congregation that we're starting a building project and um and god's really given us a lot of favor up there and as you mentioned um in 2015 about the let's see the six year mark seventh year mark beginning of seven um the lord put it in my heart to um also to take new covenant the mother church over as there was a pastoral vacancy there and so the lord you know, quickly taught us about multi-sites and leading two organizations, you know, two churches that have different missions in different cities. And so we built a leadership team and an elder team to oversee both, but each church is still autonomous. They make their own decisions and have their own accounts. It's not like a common multi-site is, um, which is a trend going on in America now. So that has had to be a very interesting dynamic because on the one hand you planted a church you planted a church congregation there in Hayhira and then as you mentioned about six years after having planted that work then you also became the senior pastor of New Covenant Church which is in Valdosta which was already an established church it had been there for several years if, if I'm not mistaken yes sir for 30 years yeah so now you're the you're the pastor of a of a six-year-old church and a 30-year-old church. Man, talk to us a little bit about some of the change dynamics of, of, of trying to coexist in, in, in uh, both of those church congregations. Well, I, I will start out by saying I think it has changed me more than I've changed it. Um, God has definitely taken me to a school of leadership. But one of the biggest things is, you know, as we merge the two, you know, you, you see the pattern in the, in the New Testament where Paul oversaw different, you know, he was overseer of different churches, but he raised up elders who would shepherd those flocks, according to First Peter 5. 
and you know but he still remained an overseer and so i had to learn that i can have room in my heart for two different churches and pour vision into those churches and equip those leaders and and release those ministers out into the marketplace and into their spheres where god has planted them and so god quickly had to do a work in my heart before any of this could happen um then i had to i walked the elders i asked all of the elders to resign which was a shock to some people but in leadership you can't put and specifically lines. just to, to clarify you're talking about the elders at new covenant when you took over both, new covenant. At you both had, churches oh at both churches okay when yes you took sir. that over you had all the elders from both churches resign so you could resign. sort of hit a reset button correct and to be able to put new wine in a new wine skin because it was going to take a different way of thinking that the elders weren't just there for their church they were there to oversee both churches and so we took elders from both congregations i took a year to train them and we raised up new elders put them in place at the beginning of year two of this merger um august will be the beginning of year three for us this coming august and um and so you know they oversee both congregations even though they are in one congregation all of them lead home churches they're shepherding the people according to the bible they're apt to teach and fulfill the qualifications in timothy and and it's just been a real neat process to watch how god has changed them and their leadership style and to be able to have a bigger picture than just their one church and um and so you know i didn't know if this was going to work i just knew it was in my heart to do it this way and god has just shown up and done such an incredible work in both of these campuses and both churches are growing um you know we've we've settled the ship and turned the direction and we're picking up momentum at new covenant because they had lost the pastor then i come in and set down the elders and it was a lot of change a lot of you know very short time but the people have weathered that we're picking up momentum the finances have picked up um it's just a miracle after miracle what god has done in both of these churches wow man that's that's really awesome what a great conversation that was with travis moffett and pastor mike wells hope you'll come back next week for the second part of this conversation here on The Global Neighborhood.